I speak to you in the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. When I go through the, the great liturgical season of Lent and Holy Week and Easter, um, I, I want to feel it. I want to enter into the, the story in a visceral way. And that's been pretty hard this year. Well, Lent was easy. Um, we, we haven't left Lent for a year, as far as I'm concerned. Um, so we just carry on living with less and doing less and living with privation and fasting from various things, fasting from each other, fasting from the Eucharist, fasting from uh, all the activities that often have enlivened uh, and enriched our lives. Um, and so we come to Easter, and I'm looking forward to Easter, thinking about what I'm going to preach about it. And, and uh, you want to have that sense of feeling sad on Good Friday and then happy on Easter morning. And here we are, and I mean, it's a nice day, and there was a bit of rain, the air is fresh. Um, but it's hard for me to just plaster a smile on my face and say, isn't this great? Because at the same time as it is Easter Sunday and we are celebrating the resurrection, the pandemic has new strains that are more deadly and leading to longer periods of uh, isolation and um, health orders. And, and of course, there are other things in the world that don't seem to be getting better. There's mass murder going on in Myanmar and in Ethiopia. And the looming specter of climate change remains, and here we are in 2021, which is shaping up to be about as good as 2020. So how do you say Happy Easter? What, what do you mean? And, so, and, and what do you preach on a day today if you're going to be honest um, and not dishonest about where we're at? So uh, what I did was, it, it, there was a bit of serendipity in my life this last week because I was so... Um, desperate to figure out something to say. I did something I haven't done in many, many years, which is pick up a commentary and start digging into the scriptures in an academic way, the way I used to do when I was in seminary and starting out and so forth. And um, I, uh, when, I, when I graduated from seminary, I wanted to have a bit of a theological library, and so I bought some uh, some commentaries from the Anchor Bible series, very respectable, um, solid, mainstream, liberal Protestant stuff. And uh, they had just come out with a relatively new edition of the Gospel of Mark, which is what we're doing today. Um, the, the classic edition in the Anchor series was by an interpreter named Dodd, and uh, he outlined all the sort of settled, received wisdom about the Gospel of Mark that had been essentially established for 50, 75 years by the time I came along in 93. Um, and then there was this new one that came out in the late 80s, and I thought, well, you know, new scholarship updated, I should have that one in my library, and I bought it, it was 50 bucks, hardcore, big volume. Um, and, uh, and I put it on my shelf and then got on with my ministry and I never opened it. I've had this book for 27 years and it's been sitting in my library looking very impressive and learned, but I hadn't actually opened it. And I thought, well, I better open it this year, see if there's some juice there for me to dig into the Gospel of Mark. And to my surprise, this book essentially upended the 50, 75 years of received wisdom on the Gospel of Mark that I had been preaching for the past 27 years. Um, and, uh, and this book drew a question mark over the whole thing and said, are we so sure that Mark was the first Gospel and that there's a Q source? And maybe there was some other thing else going on. And uh, so I found it quite startling and I followed the, 
followed the rabbit down the rabbit hole and uh, came out the other side going, you know, there's probably something to this theory, which is serendipitous because what this new commentary that I've read now um, suggests about the context for the Gospel of Mark explains this shorter ending of Mark that we just heard, where the whole Gospel... Now, now we all know that, that, you know, and, and we haven't changed our minds about the original ending of Mark being where we stopped it today. Mark has three endings. This is the shorter end. Well, there, this is the original ending, which is the shortest ending. And then there's a, a shorter edition. And then there's a longer edition. And they're in, in, you know, responsible translations. They're marked with chapter headings, the shorter ending, the longer ending, and so forth. But this is the very shortest. And scholars still agree that this is the director's cut. I mean, often director's cuts are longer than the theatrical release. But in Mark's case, the director wanted it to stop at the end of verse 8. They went, they ran away, and they told no one because they were afraid, period, end of gospel. So Mark wanted us to be left hanging. Well, well, well what happens next? And what's fascinating about this, uh, this newer scholarship is that if Mark was a later gospel and not the earliest gospel, as I was taught, then Mark had Matthew and Luke in front of him and decided to write a shorter gospel and decided to omit the appearances of Jesus deliberately in order to make his directorial point. And the point that, that seems to be made, of course, if this, is a, uh, if, if, if this scholarship is correct, is that this is for Palestinian Christians in the period 55 to 65 AD. And this was a period of growing political and civil unrest in Palestine that culminated in this war in AD 66 to 70. And in AD 70, the Romans destroyed the temple, the symbol of Jewish faith and spirituality, and raised it to the ground and, and destroyed Israel. And so this is the period leading up to that war when to be a Palestinian Christian was to be beleaguered on all sides by the Romans who don't trust Palestinian Christians because they're yet another sectarian Jewish group that believes in some kind of kingdom of God, which doesn't sound like the Roman Empire. And so they're probably seditious, they're probably um, treasonous, and they probably need to be all killed. So it's not safe to be there from the Romans. Meanwhile, you have the zealots who are saying, you know, what is this pacifism stuff of you Christians about saying the kingdom is some spiritual reality? The kingdom is the kingdom of Israel, and that's what we have to restore, and we have to throw off Roman oppression. And so it's not safe to be a Palestinian Christian with the, with the, um, uh, the, the, the nationalistic Jewish factions at the time either. And so this poor community was hanging on to this gospel of Jesus, which they knew. They had Matthew, they had Luke, they knew the story. And yet the world didn't seem to be unfolding the way that they had thought it would. Well, Christ was raised from the dead and everything was going to be better. We were supposed to be smiling and happy. We were sad on Good Friday. We were supposed to be happy on Easter. It's post-Easter. And look at the way this world and this land is going. And so into their anxiety and fear and beleagueredness, Mark writes his gospel. And the gospel is condensed from Matthew, which gives all the rules, and from Luke, which talks about healing. In Mark's gospel, it's all about conflict. It's all about a spiritual war that is going on all the time. 
And the message throughout John's, uh, uh, Mark's gospel is that Christ is winning in that war. Wins every time. Christ is the Lord and master of all creation. He stills the waters. He casts out demons. He heals the sick. He just goes through this very short period of demonstrating his mastery and then engages in the passion, which is his battle with the forces of evil over which we, you know, he is victorious. Because like us, those Palestinian Christians knew the end of the story. They knew about the resurrection appearances. And so when Mark stopped his gospel at they ran away and they were afraid, it was a finger pointed right at his own community saying, do you really believe in the end of the story? Yeah, you know the end of the story, but you, do you really know the end of the story? Or are you going to be like them saying, I'm afraid and I'm hiding. That's the end of my story. Yeah, I, I know Jesus was resurrected, but I'm still afraid because I don't, I don't really believe that Jesus is in charge of what's going on. So for me, the serendipity in this commentary and situating Mark in that place and understanding that this might be what Mark was encouraging his people to, to confront them with the resurrection by not writing it in, in its fullness in the gospel and leaving a question mark at the end of his gospel. And so for me, the implications for us as we sort of carry on through this interminable COVID period, as we struggle with the decline of the church in Western culture, as we, we look at the state of the world and the saber rattling between China and the United States and the climate crisis and all the rest of it, the question for us is the same as the question that Mark posed for his early Palestinian Christian community, which is, do you really believe that God is in charge or not? And so for me, it's not about do you feel it? Because the Palestinian Christians weren't feeling it. They were feeling afraid. And so the question is, are you going to choose to believe it? Because it's a choice. We, we may not always feel our faith, but we have a choice as to whether we believe that God is in charge or not. Is God a senile old fool sitting on a cloud, having set something off that he's really out of control with what's going on? Or is he a deist watchmaker where he just wound up, set the rules of physics, and, well, it's just how the chips fall. That's how it is. Or do we believe in a God who raised Jesus from the dead, who reached into human history, broke the rules, changed the rules, imposed rules that we don't understand, and said, I am intimately involved in human history. I'm intimately involved in the right way to be human and the wrong way to be human and the call to move from one to the other. And I am with you until the end of the age. So the other great line in today's gospel where the angel says, do not be alarmed. You're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. He has been raised. He is not here. Look, there's the place that they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. They've been given a message. And they've been given a promise. You will see him. He told you you would see him. Go tell them what I've just told you that reminds you about what he told you. And then the question mark is, did they? Did they run and tell? And so it is for us. 
We have been told that Christ will be with us to the end of the age. We have been told that Christ is Lord of creation, that God has set Christ at the right hand on high, that all that is transpiring is according to some kind of divine plan and mandate. And the question is, do we believe it enough to trust in it? And do we believe it in, in it enough to tell anyone? In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.